This recording is from Thursday the 12th of August, before the signings of Ollie Lindsay Haig, and also before the Doncaster Knights pre-season match was announced. Therefore, this means a couple of items are out of date, but I hope the rest of the episode is still worth listening to. Apologies, but had a busy summer, and it takes a bit of time sometimes to get these things edited. Hope you enjoy the episode nonetheless. So hello everybody and welcome to our special summer edition of Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and literally joining me this week because we're now allowed to and we're in the same room is Ian Joseph. Hello everyone, yes, yeah, is a rarity, nice treat isn't it? Um, so this week we're going to touch on a, a number of uh, things that have been in Falcons, wider rugby, internationals. So we'll start off there, uh, we'll give you a brief overview of our wonderful performances in the internationals. Um, have a quick chat about the Lions tour, um, cover off a couple of our new signings that um, weren't necessarily known at the end of the season. And then we'll look forward into next year, the new league format, law variations, um, talk about our fixture list. Um, haven't got any kit yet. And uh, then getting back to rugby, both at local level and also our friendlies schedule before the season starts. So without further ado, I think that um, it's well overdue. We need to sing the praises of our northeast Englishman because um don't know about you but I thought the performances from all of them not just the ones on the score sheet in the friendlies against Canada and the USA were phenomenal yeah they're really good it was really pleasing for all of us Hawkins fans of course um but you know they they had their chance and they took it I think all of them absolutely grasped it didn't they um they very much kind of put themselves out there on you know the sort of a national spectacle level as you say it's not just the ones who got did get the score sheet though by god did they get the score sheet yeah i mean even you know you have players like davidson um, who came on even for not huge parts of the game but were really really solid and you know they kind of get there on tv they on playing for england everyone gets to have a good look at them raises the profile of the club if anything else and i don't think any of them did any of their chances any harm going forward no, I think got off to a cracking start. Obviously, Blamaya scoring with a couple of minutes of being on the pitch. But Chick, even though he didn't get on the score sheet, he played very well throughout. It's a shame that Radwan only played the one game at the end, really. But um, I don't think anyone's going to say that he shouldn't have played it because certainly justified his selection in that one. It's just a shame we didn't see him a bit sooner. And then Blamaya also scoring a hat-trick in the same match and getting on the score sheet in the previous one. I don't think there's many players that have got double the number of uh, tries for England's appearances. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one for the... Well, the history books, isn't it? But it's one that will sort of live probably in Falcons fans' memories for like quite a long time, not necessarily anyone else's. But, you know, as I've said, it, they've really kind of put a marker down. It's, it wasn't about sort of, you know, beating USA or Canada. Um, it was kind of, I suppose, about their individual performances. You know, would they grasp at the opportunity? And they, they certainly did. And I think, you know, players, particularly, particularly Radwan and Blamaya, after their performance, they've obviously been looked at and think, you know, these are ones for the future. They did their chances, absolutely no harm. And, you know, you start to get particularly Radwan, you know, being tipped for, oh, is he going to be in the Lions for next tour? And, you know, we're already starting to get talk at that level about some of our players, which is, which is brilliant and which is sort of not used to it, but it makes a really, really nice change. Yeah, you say talk about in the future. Um, Radwan was in Mill Greenwood's uh, Lions squad for the next two, which I think says it all. Um, Reese Summer on one wing and 
right around the other. It would certainly be an exciting and pacey backline if that materialises. I think one would all look forward to. I think we've got to say commiserations and hard lines to Robinson um, with his knee injury. I haven't heard any more news on the long-term prognosis there, but um, it sounds like it wasn't one that he could just run off, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the one disappointment, wasn't it? Um, I mean, if we've, I'm sure if he played some minutes, he would have been as good as the rest of them. And I mean, we know how good he is, and it's a real shame. And you, you do wonder if he will get another opportunity. I mean, obviously, we all hope he does. But how often do England play these sort of matches? Really, it's only during sort of Lions tours, isn't it? But, well, you know, we, we hope so. We hope he does get a look in at some point. And I guess wish him well of his recovery and... We may get an indication if he does appear in pre-season in some of the games coming up, but I don't think, you know, I wouldn't have a particular expectation we'll see him until much later on in the year, unfortunately. But, you know, it's important, obviously, he gets himself right and we know what a good player he is, but thankfully we do have a lot of coverage in that area. Yeah, I think also in that um, little mini-series, we saw Peterson featuring for the USA, which was quite nice. Um, did make you wince every time you, you, you got the ball and ran into people, but as it happened, it didn't happen too often. It was more doing the tackling than being tackled. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant, actually. Well, I think he's probably their best player. Uh, he, he, I thought he was actually probably won. Of course, obviously, England won, but in the end, by quite some distance. But he was, you know, he was really in there for uh, the USA. And I think he was probably their best player. I mean, obviously, I know other players score for them. And there were a couple of, uh, they've got a couple of lightning quick players who can be a bit dangerous. But, you know, you, in the a breakdown, especially, I seem to remember, he was causing all sorts of trouble for us and, and at line out as well, which, of course, we know he, he can do that. So that was kind of pleasing. Of course, it was, I guess, of course, we wanted him to be on the losing side. But um, in terms of individual performance, I think it's another kind of feather in the Falcons hat on that day. Yeah, um, and it's not just the that series where we've got some players featuring this summer. Carreras and Orlando, our Argentines are in the Argentinian team um, due to face off in a couple of weeks' time, aren't they? Um, yeah, I mean, Orlando got more game time. So I think Carreras got injured in the first test against Wales, if that's right. I think it is. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously nice to see more focus like the finish after duty and obviously keep our fingers crossed they come back to us in one piece because we know how important they're going to be for us going forward into the new season. Yeah, that Carreras one, um, only saw it very briefly. It was in the first half against Wales, he went off with an injury and not much has been said about it, I don't think, so I'm hoping it's not too serious, but um, it looks like he isn't out for too long. Well, in some sort of videos I see, Carreras is running about training, so I assume it's not that serious. I think we can expect to see it in pre-season how much, and I don't know, obviously we'll find out, but I think he's going to be in the mix, certainly. Yeah, and um, it'll be interesting to see how they do against uh, South Africa that beat the Lions. I think it's a bit of a different South African team. I know there's been a lot of changes, but um, in that Lions tour, although um, Harris claims he's Scottish and isn't playing for... Falcons anymore. It was nice to see an ex-academy prospect starting for the Lions. Yeah, I mean, it's in many ways we've sort of been meteoric rise for him. I think we were both surprised he was called up into the Lions squad. Uh, I personally had my doubts about him um, at international level. I know sometimes he can be a player on his day, he can be pretty solid. Um, other times he can be a bit error prone. I was surprised that he was not only selected for Lions, but actually put into the, the, the test squad. But, um, you know, credit to him, he has, he has had a meteoric rise in the same way it sort of mirrored kind of Scotland's rise over the past couple of years. So, you know, credit to him. Yeah, and then if we just uh, briefly talk about the Lions tour, as, as is always the case, we uh, battered some of the provincial sides and then came up a crop against one of the, the better ones, and I think South Korea as well. But then the actual test matches themselves reminded me very much of the Rugby World Cup final. Um, it looked like Warren Gatland had taken the same idea as Eddie Jones of trying to out South Africa as South Africa. And it was exactly the same problems. You can't run through them. You're not going to beat them up, win like that. And then the team we played, it was always very much the same thing coming off the bench. I don't know what the point in calling 
Smith up was after his wonderful Premiership final and England Saxons appearances if he's not going to play any test matches and you put Farrell on the bench who let's be honest he's not that much of a different dimension to bigger yeah um, I mean I think apart from the second half of the first test where they really did get the upper hand and obviously that showed in, in, in the scoreboard um, they huffed and puffed a lot didn't they and I, I think they in many ways they've kind of seen bereft of ideas um, I was quite pleased fast forwarding to the third test to see Russell actually get on because I think Russell's a player who can kind of pull rabbits out of a hat. We've seen him do that against England you know, many times. And um, I think against South Africa, sometimes you do need a bit of flair to kind of, you know, something a bit different. As you say, you can't just batter South Africa because that's, you know, that's what they're good at. They love that. They play on that. They thrive off that. And by the end, I think it was a case of running out of ideas. And we went back to, they tried not to as much the first half, but the high ball again. And, you know, we knew that, what was going to happen because they're obviously very good at it. That's how they got the upper hand in the second test. And we kind of played into their hands in that. And you saw some of the stats where times where we did have a lot of the possession. One time it was about 60, 40 or something. Um, and we never looked like getting anywhere. I think we barely got to 22 in that period. But, you know, South Africa picked up on the mistake. They got their crucial try, didn't they? Um, and, you know, they, just, they kind of took their opportunity and we sort of huffed and puffed. And, you know, we had plenty of chances to kick for goal. And, you know, it worked once for the driving more. And I think the idea was, oh, if it worked once, we'll try it again. But at the absolute highest level of test rugby, you've got to take points off. And they just didn't. And South Africa took their chances. And that was that, really. We had a plan A that I wasn't terribly pleased with, if I'm perfectly honest. It seemed there was a lot of aimless, aimless kicking. I know we talked about the up and unders just recently, but we didn't seem to get much traction out of them but we kept doing them we kept doing them we kept doing them and then going back to them again once we tried something else it didn't work it just seemed like we didn't really have that plan B that we needed and also there's a bit of chat about Gatlin potentially doing the next Lions tour again as well I don't know I think we might need somebody with a few new ideas personally I guess for Gatlin you know what you're going to get so if we look forward to, to next season after looking back at the games that have recently been played I think the first thing to mention is the, the new league format next year it's not particularly groundbreaking it's just there's an extra team and there's no relegation I don't know quite how that's going to pass out. I guess it'd be pretty much the same as the season just gone, just hopefully with a few more fans and one extra or two extra games. Yeah, well, exactly. That the objective is not to finish bottom still. I mean, I know it doesn't affect you, you know, whether your premiership status or not, but obviously you still want to finish bottom. Richard said it towards the end of last season, saying that you know he could play certain players or rest certain players in certain games because he knew there wasn't that threat of relegation. I imagine we'll see that again this season. So, yeah, I think, as, you, as you've said before, it'll just kind of be an extension of, or very similar, rather, to what, what kind of happened last season. Yeah, I think you just said ideas not to finish bottom. I very much of the mindset of finishing the top eight, I think we're definitely good enough to. And if we string some performances together, I don't see why we can't really push for that. Although, having said that, there's probably going to be Saracens in there, so it'd be equivalent to finishing the top seven last season. But I certainly think that wasn't beyond the realms of all possibility if we hadn't had a poor run of form in the, the late winter. Yeah, oh, well, absolutely. I mean, our, our target should be top eight, as you say. I mean, Hanking Cup qualification, I think that's going to be... Is it, will it be similar to last season, top eight again? If it is, then yeah, I mean, that's that's got to be a target for us. And as you've said, no reason why, if a couple of results do go our way, which didn't go last season, why, why we can't sort of be looking for that. I mean, minimum objective, of course, as I said before, you don't want to finish bottom. Um, but... We should probably be higher than that, I think. I know um, I mentioned a few weeks ago now that Worcester sort of heavily recruited and heavily changed their squad. Um, you know, we'll see how much of an impact, for example, Van der Merber is for, for Worcester, which is an interesting addition to their squad. Um, is that much he kind of plays for them or how injury-free he is? Because one of their problems last season, to be fair, was they had lots of chances but didn't take them. Maybe he's the answer to that partially. But yeah, uh, I think, as you say, objective has got to be Hanukkah 
Cup and no reason why not, really. The Heineken Cup fixtures have been released, but the Challenge Cup fixtures still haven't. I don't know quite what's taken European rugby so long to decide, whether they're going to muck around with something or what it is, because to me it should seem a relatively straightforward sort of names in a hat this is what we're going to do, unless they're still trying to work out which teams are going to be in it or whatever. But I can't really see why that should take as long as it has done. And also following on from that, there's still no word on the Premiership Cup. Last year, we had the issue where academy players very much uh, didn't play or got a couple of rounds at the end of the season when we saw what happened down at Sandy Park. And I really hope for the, uh, not just for those players' developments, but also the welfare of those players. If they get expected to get thrown on in a premiership game against a potentially an international player, um, you can't be expecting them to have not played rugby for the last 12 months or nine months or however long it may be. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'll start with, I mean, start with the Challenge Cup when, as you say, I mean, it, it could be a case of they don't even know sort of what the format is going to be and who's going to be playing. I mean, there was, I did see an article again a few months ago now um, about maybe some of the South African teams being included in the Challenge Cup. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's the issue of kind of logistics of sorting that out because, you know, would you have, you know, it may be a case of you would have a mini South Africa tour where you would play two South African teams or whatever in, in successive weeks and fly back and it's all the logistics of that. I don't know. I mean, but that, I suspect it probably is something to do with how they're going to format it, really. Um, and with regards to Premiership Cup, I mean, as you said, I think it's something that's desperately needed. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I haven't, I don't really remember what the season ticket details are, which were released as of speaking now, just a couple of hours ago. Um, I just sort of skirted down the bullet points very quickly, but um, there was no mention, I think, there of any sort of cup competition apart from obviously the, the Challenge Cup. Um, no reason, I suppose, to say that they wouldn't be include that at a later date. But yeah, it, it's a shame um, that there's no sort of concrete announcement because it's exactly as you've said in terms of those French players. You know, we talked about last season as well. Um, you know, we want these players to, to play, not just for us as, as supporters and people who want the club to develop and players develop, but as you say, but for themselves as well. Um, you know, they want to have careers at the end of the day, and if not going to game time, then you know, what are they supposed to do? So, yeah, we, we hope that something does come out of that. Um, these South African teams, I've heard it mentioned a couple of times over the years about this, and I know they're in the, what was the Magnus League, but um, it seems to me putting them in a European rugby tournament is a square peg in a round hole. And don't get me wrong, it'd be a nice away day but you've got to think of the financial impact just not only for the fans but clubs there's a lot of clubs where being expected to travel to different continents is a massively different kettle of fish to going um, to France for a, a weekend or something like that and I, I just think that yes yeah, South Africa rugby's got its problems and it's nice to try and accommodate the South African teams but is it really in the best interest of most European rugby clubs to accommodate them in that way or should we just let it be their problem and not ours Fix just come out this year any any immediate thoughts on that well of course I mean home of the champions isn't it uh, first game of the season I think looking around it there was I mean it's hard to say kind of like oh this is an easy period this is a tough period because you know the, the, let's face it there's only 12, te- 12 games to play well, 12 oppositions to, to play so I mean you're going to get every period is going to be tough really you're not going to get an easy period and a tough period in particular um, I mean again, again you just kind of take one game at a time don't you really I guess it could have been a bit easier around Christmas New Year got Sale at home and Leicester away but you know, we beat Sale at home last time, so you never know, isn't it? It's, it's so hard to really tell, just looking at a fixture list at the start of the season. Uh, the one that everyone look, always looks at tends to be the Boxing Day game, or maybe the 27th. Um, it's against Sale. I think they do that on purpose to make it vague, bit of a yeah, derby I think match. So, I think so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that'll be a good one. We're, we're at home for it, so uh, should be good fun. And then um, New Year, we're off to Leicester, so um, 
if you've got any family down that way, you have to book your trip in with the in-laws if you um, need a bit of consolation, you might get a, a victory. Yeah. One thing that we will be seeing this season is a few law variations. A lot of these are kind of crept up on us because they haven't really been discussed that widely apart from um, in a few more discrete areas of the internet as far as I, I can tell. But they have been in existence in some of the Southern Hemisphere rugby last season. So the, we'll, we'll go through them kind of one by one. The first one we've got is what they're calling the 50-40. Some people call it 50-22. Other people call it... Basically, it's if you kick the kick the ball from within your own half and it bounces into touch within the opponent's 22, then you'll get the line out, similar to if you had a penalty which you kick for touch. The laws based upon the rugby league law, which is 2040, I think they call it in mm. that, which is obviously from a bit deeper within your own half. The logic being that it gives such an incentive to do it. It gives an incentive for the attacking team to do it, but there's obviously the defending team have to drop their wingers back to prevent it from happening because it's such a territorial gain. Therefore, the idea is that it stops defences rushing up as, and the wingers drop back. So, in theory, there should be space out on the wings. I get the theory behind it, but I am worried that it's going to introduce even more kicking into the game than we already have. But what it does mean is that lineouts are going to have to improve because there may well be a lot of those in and around the 22. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not particularly in favour for it. I think, as you say, it's just going to encourage sort of aimless kicking, isn't it? All these kicks that they should never really be known just for the, the hope, you know, that you can sort of get one of these. Um, and, yeah, you, I mean, I didn't like defending line-outs for under 22. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not in favour of it. Um, I mean, for, from the games I saw from at least the Super Rugby 80 Aura, the New Zealand one last season, it didn't happen very often. Um, I don't think you can go for many, many weeks, I think, without it actually happening. So I think it could just be more of a sort of, could you say, annoyance or a bit of an oddity initially um, until maybe we see it more often and maybe once if it happens a few times players get more used to it and get better at doing it I don't know but from what I saw last season in New Zealand there didn't appear to be much use of it um, Do any of the teams in the Southern Hemisphere have an artificial pitch? Good question I don't know I don't Cause I, I can't remember seeing it being I don't think so I, don't think pitch. So. And I, I think that um, Given the, the fact the Falcons play it, we might end up with a significant, if we get used to it, a significant advantage. Because I know what I would be doing if I had an artificial pitch. I'd be drilling in low, hard grubber kicks. Suppose you have a, a ball on your own 10-metre line or around there. You drill in a hard, low grubber kick. And the likelihood is it'll bounce up over somebody's head and go into touch. Or they won't quite be able to line it up and it'll just drink, drink off to one side. And even if they do manage to get themselves in the way a grubber kickers is notoriously hard to field at the first attempt so you might end up getting scrums from knock-ons or what, whatever I think it's going to be one of those ones where if we if we perfect it it could play in our favour even though I might not be totally a fan of it well maybe that's what pre-season games are for we may see them having a go against you Glasgow and Edinburgh's but um, we'll have to see um, I think as things stands I I'm not in favour. I don't know if many people would be in favour, but we'll see how it is. One of those things where if we, you know, if we can get it right and use it as a potent weapon, then it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, another one that's kind of, as far as I'm concerned, a bit of a rugby league adoption is the goal line dropout. This is going to be when either a player dabs it down inside their own dead ball area from a kick through. It would have formerly been a 22 dropout. It's now going to be a goal line dropout. It'll be if a, a try is held up. And um, it'll be for various other things like a knock-on beyond the try line by an attacking player. This one's given as safety being the reason. I don't see it being that myself. The times I've seen it in the Southern Hemisphere, there's been this dropout from... The way it works is it's a dropout, like a 22 dropout, but from your own try line. The defence has got to be behind the 5-metre line. The ball has got to go beyond the 5-metre line. But what tends to happen is um, 
the players get the person in the squad that can kick it the furthest. They launch it downfield as far as they can. And then whoever fields it from the opposition has then a 30-40 yard run-up to pile into some poor defender, which they've deliberately picked out as being the smallest one, or one that can't tackle very well. And how that's got safety in mind, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be long until we see injuries, particularly because a lot of these tackles will end up being more vertical tackles than your horizontal tackles. And I, I don't really understand the logic behind it, but... It's, good. it's what they've decided and it's what we're going to have to put up with. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, due to the nature of it, this is one that you did see more when it was introduced um, in New Zealand. I don't know, to me, it just seems such an advantage for the defending team, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, I could maybe get if if it's held up, because obviously that's very good defensive play. Maybe they should be rewarded for that, because in some ways, you know, maybe finding attacking scrum is a bit harsh on a really good bit of defensive play. But I think otherwise, it seems to be very generous towards the defending team, because as you say, you just, you just boot it 30, 40 yards up. I mean, yes, obviously the player can make up a lot of ground with the ball coming forward, but then, you know, the the line is going to be a lot further away from the try line than it would have been otherwise if I'm a scrub. So, uh, yeah, I think it does really help the defence. I, I also I get the idea that maybe, you know, they want to get rid of scrums and it makes the play go a bit quicker and whatnot. But I don't know, just to, to me, maybe, again, when we're just not used to, it just seems very defensively minded, really. Yeah, also, um, I've got a bit of a, an annoyance about it because when there's going to be a video ref decision, and they just can't see what happens. Um, traditionally, the attacking team gets the put in, they get get it five metres out, and they kind of start again. You think, well, fair enough. Now, if um, a referee's poorly positioned or cameraman's looking the wrong way or whatever, and it goes to the video ref, um, something that may well have been a try is going to end up being the team that was attacking getting the ball hoofed to them. It would make sense to me that if it was an inconclusive TMO referral, that the attacking team retained the ball in the way they used to, but um, not what is going to happen. A couple of ones that may well affect the Falcons, um, pre-binding and latching. Uh, we saw we saw us pinged a couple of times this last season. Um, pre-binding is effectively forming a maul as an attacking team before you're tackled. So I think it's if um, you have two people attached to you when before a tackle, then that is now going to be penalised with a, a penalty to the defending side. Um, it's similar to some of these um, strange laws like a flying wedge and whatnot that you see at the back of the law book from the olden days. And the other one that may well catch us out is about latching. I think this is to stop the pick and goes at the back of rucks like we had, um, which proved very fruitful for us. Um, I, I think the latching is now you're not allowed to make contact with the player who has picked the ball up until the defence have made contact with them. Um, something along those lines. I, I'm not shown technically how it works i haven't seen any demo videos yet but um by the descriptions i've seen it seems like it's to try and nullify the falcons um doing 15 phases on the five meter line yeah well maybe with the threat of that they might actually sort of take more opportunities with it it's another one these rules are gonna have to especially i think this these couple of rules they're gonna have to sort of learn pretty quickly uh but and maybe pre-season is more important than ever in that regard I, I mean yeah we'll just have to see i think we'll we'll get used to it and i guess i'll just have to adapt find some other way really yeah, it seems like these um, uh, law changes, you get a couple of seasons to get used to the previous one, and then they introduce a whole raft of new ones. But I think, um, particularly the kicking ones that we discussed earlier, they're, they're really going to change the game quite significantly visually. It'll, I think it's going to be not necessarily a good thing, but let's see. And then the final one is um, lower limb clearouts at rucks. I haven't read the exact wording, but it sounds like it's going to be one of these ones that's nine impossible to enforce. And if TMOs decide they're going to start looking at it, we'll be spending the whole time watching their video ref decisions because the, the gist of it is you can't be basically targeting lower limbs of players at rucks. 
they haven't, as far as I can tell, legislated against the judo role or everything that you're taught as a child, which um, has caused some injuries recently. But once you start going down that route and start having things based upon a clear-out technique as opposed to a comic contact with the neck, I think it's a very slippery slope as to what looks nice and what doesn't look nice. And I think that becomes very hard to referee. I think it's a strange one because in many ways going for lower limbs in a clear out is safer than going for upper body you know you know you're always taught you know to tackle you know go for the legs and that sort of thing and you know you can safely clear someone out by by going for the legs i mean if you've got if you've got sort of a six foot eight second row or whatever you know i'm supposed to not go for the legs um if you try and do a clear out and i think as you say if they're going to look at these in every breakdown which of course they're not like they do with a lot of things then you know as, as you've said they would be here all day um I don't know how they're going to enforce that. Um, you know, so sometimes you can get injuries because you get obviously a lot of force and perhaps some vulnerable areas of the leg. You know, so I guess on paper I, I can see the reasoning for, for that perhaps. But, you know, in reality, I don't know how that can be enforced because in some ways it, it can be, you can do a pretty safe and good clear out. You're going to have to just wait and see how all these law variations pan out. Um, seems like World Rugby now have a panel of people that tinker with the game and the redundancy bill will be too high if they get rid of them. But I, I just quite like to see it stay as it was. But um, ban kicking full stop. But that's never going to happen. They seem to want to encourage more of it. If we just move on to a bit of the kind of the club admin side of things. There hasn't been a kit released yet. But you've got a theory, haven't you, Ian? Yeah, well, it's it's built up over several years, this, um, and I seem to be pretty much right. So um, the Falcons tend to change the colour of their website, or at least the colour of, of the sort of marketing material every season. So I don't know, we won't go too far back, but I mean, well, we can do. So obviously when we had the grey and lime green away shirt, then we had sort of a, a grey and lime green colour palette to it. Um, indicating obviously the away shirt and then green for the season after and then uh, a couple of years ago in the championship season it was blue and you can still see on the website you know it's still some blue obviously haven't changed that but then last season you started to see green appear in certain sort of marketing features um which of course indicated the bits of green on the away shirt last season and now you're seeing yellow so my money would be on a yellow away shirt this season, but uh, we'll have to see, won't we? Um, I'd be dead good if I do get this right, because obviously my my tinfoil hat uh, <laughs> predictions of these sort of things will be right, and I'll be fully justified. I can say it to everyone and bore everyone senseless about it. But um, no, so my money's on yellow away shirt this season, which would be nice because I don't. We've had one since arguably my favourite away shirt of that one, John Smith. John Smith saw the two thousand. I think two thousand, two thousand, two thousand one. European war, so it'd be nice. Haven't we? we don't we don't get yellow very often. It's always a nice bright colour. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, no, I don't know when the the new shirts will come out. I mean, they took their time last season, didn't they? But it's been all sorts of disruptions. Who knows? Um, I think they might come out once they manage to sell all that stock. They keep flogging at massive discount rates in the club shop. Seems to be that every week at the minute you uh, get a new discount deal on the website, and you you look at it and you realise, oh, this seems like an excellent deal. And there's only a triple XL left, and I don't even think you're big enough to fit one of them. Yeah, not quite. Or you get the thing where um, you got to pay sort of X amount of postage, so actually it doesn't really work out much cheaper. No, but the, the shop's open. You can walk in now on certain days. I can't remember what they yeah, are. Yeah, so. um, Thursday and Saturday, something like that. Yeah, and it, yeah, it might be one yeah. of these things where if you go in at the right time, you grab yourself a bargain or um, get your Christmas presents early for somebody, I don't know. But um, certainly uh, good to support the club and buy all their old stuff that they're trying to flog. Similarly, taking its time, season tickets, I think they've just been released. Yeah, they? so... Uh, while I was actually waiting for you to meet me, you take you to your flat, um, they did actually announce them uh, while I was bored, just 
obviously going on Twitter and whatnot. Um, yeah, so so they have been announced. Ticket prices are up there. Um, so um, yeah, finally, I mean that they announced it about three weeks ago, saying, "Oh yeah, next week we'll we'll." give details and then obviously a couple of weeks pass and still nothing I think quite a lot of people ask is sort of what's happened but you know here they are yeah I mean I'm going to be snapping up one so uh, I'll probably actually just go down the ground because I never seem to do well with the ticketing sites so uh, I'll just it's quickly just going to kick some part I think and just go on a, a day they're open and sort of bang at the window um, but yeah it's nice to see and um, I think there's certain perks I think it may be doing it I mean there's no early bird this year because obviously they're too late for the, for the early bird but I think uh, there's some certain perks if you do it by the end of the month or something I think maybe it's an extra discount for a game or something for whatever the friendly's going to the home friendly's going to be in a few weeks time but yeah no, it's nice to actually see they've been announced finally yeah you say um, you jinxed with the uh, websites I have to agree that it seems that whenever there's a ticketing arrangement it never quite goes according to plan I think the same thing's happened again with um, the Edinburgh one yeah well I mean this is just me, just me being useless but uh, I think originally the link that was on the, the website just didn't work uh, so I was kind of sort of shouting at phone and then computer to try and get it to work and then I mean I was, I'm in a hotel so uh my internet wasn't great in, in, in the room, but um, so um, I, but then someone on so I actually commented on the Sporters Club Facebook, like, does anyone else have this trouble? And someone kindly kind of gave advice about how to get around that. So, um, the way I did it in case other people have a similar trouble is to actually just go through the Scottish Rugby Union ticketing website itself. Uh, if you do it through there, it'll come up with a list of Scotland games. But I think if you there's a button at the bottom that says more events or something, and that it will list Falcons as, as actually the top game because it's done by date order. Uh, if you go through that way and pick your seat and, and that's what I did in the end it'd be nice to go north of the border and have a day out in Edinburgh so uh, also it's their new ground as well I think it's the first game for their new ground so that would be nice as well maybe spoil their day uh, but yeah I'm looking really looking forward to that just on their new ground I, I can't really understand the logic behind what they've done there for those that don't know Edinburgh uh, played at Murrayfield in recent years uh, there's that kind of pitch out the back of Murrayfield they're occasionally used as well but um those people that went to the Highland uh, Cup match a couple of seasons ago, remember that it was very much um, sparse to say the best, or to say the least. Um, they've, they've normally had a, few, a smattering of people in the bottom tier, but they've now got a purpose-built rugby ground. But it's horrible as far as I'm concerned. There's stanchions all over the place. You'll, if you're sitting in the wrong place, you'll have a pole in front of you for the entire game. I'm not talking about um, some migrant labour. I'm talking about one of these um, big metal pillars that you used to get on all the football grounds, like White Hart Lane and Upton Park used to have them. And every club seems to have moved away from that to more of the the stands where they're supported from the the back with um, triangles going over your head. Some engineers will be able to tell me more about it. But yeah, they've they've gone for the old school stanchions. And yeah, um, unless they're assuming people aren't going to mind having a a pole in front of them, I I don't understand it. a very strange decision. It must be due to the cost of running Murrayfield. Perhaps. I mean, maybe it's just the Scottish thing on the cheap or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is an odd one. Um, you know, a brand-new purpose-built rugby ground, you still got poles in it. It's very odd. Um, I, I was kind of surprised by the capacity. It's only 7,800, which is obviously even smaller than Kingston Park. You would have thought, you know... I mean, I, I don't know what Edinburgh get normally for a match. We would have thought if they're going to purpose-built the ground, you'd have it about 10,000, we well, would have thought. But maybe that's all, maybe, you know, that, that's that's all they get. And maybe, you know, cost-benefit analysis, that's what they've gone for. But it, it does seem an odd one, doesn't it? My hunch is they'll probably use that for, for league matches. Then at Christmas, they might um, put a few pennies in the metre at Murrayfield. And then if they have a big European game, similarly, they'll play it at Murrayfield. No, that's again. very true, actually. Uh, the, the other friendlies, we've got that one's, uh, I think it's... 
12th or 14th? So that's Saturday, 11th of September. And then we've also got Glasgow in one to be announced, haven't we? I'm not sure the date on that. Maybe that has been announced. I've just forgotten. But that's the week, the weekend before, so Friday, Saturday or Sunday beforehand. Is that similarly away? It is away, yeah. But you're not going to that one? Well, I'm in the Lake District that weekend, so unless I take a, a dramatic detour without telling anyone. No, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, maybe I could, but I, I think, no, actually, I think that one is, is Friday night, actually. Um, maybe a bit awkward to get to, but I'm probably, unfortunately, going to have to skip that one. And then what do we think about the final friendly that's not yet being confirmed? Do you think it's going to be somebody like Doncaster or maybe a sale or a touring team? What, what do you think? Well, we often have a, a championship opposition at home, don't we? I, I think probably a Rotherham or Doncaster tends to be a fairly local one. They obviously keep their costs down. And yeah, I mean, it has been the pattern recently with pre-season friendlies. We do play sort of Edinburgh and a, uh, and a sort of local-ish North Yorkshire-y um, championship team. Um, I know obviously last year was a bit disrupted, but generally I think that's what you get. And I, I would expect something similar to the, um, this season. Hopefully we'll have a few more signings to announce by then because um, over the summer there hasn't been a huge amount of Press and there's been a couple of minor updates to the to the squad on the online, but um, a lot of those seem to be uh, academy players and things like that. Um, we, we we mentioned last season about uh, Earl joining from Harlequins. Um, given Radwan's performance, I think that, that might have been a very astute move because we at the time were kind of querying why are we getting yet another winger. But um, if if Radwan's going to get called up for England for several weeks of the season, it makes perfect sense to have another top quality winger on the side to complement. Um, Carreras and Stevenson, there's every likelihood that one may pick up a knock at a certain point in time. Yeah, I think when we talked about it initially, it was kind of one of these rumours, um, you know, a little dead certain, but we, it wasn't announced yet. And then later on over the summer, it was actually confirmed. Um, but the thing about Earl is I think he adds a different option as well, because he's a much bigger player than our current wingers. I mean, our wingers are what they are, you know, they're, they're short and fast and, you know, they're speed merchants. Earl's has a lot more height to him. And I think obviously we talked about this quite a lot last season about how we were weak with a high ball out wide. Um, and maybe he's the answer to that. He does provide a different option, which is what we need. I think it's a good purchase. Um, I mean, Earl is a good player and he does fill a kind of a gap, which we did have in the squad, really. Um, so whilst obviously we did have a lot of very good wingers, you know, I did, he, he does add something different. Yeah, um, hopefully we'll have a couple more to uh, give you an update on later in the year. We'll probably do another one of these podcasts after the friendlies. Um, probably just between the friendlies and the season starting, we'll we'll do one to cover off a few things. Um, and one thing that's nice to see is that I've actually seen people playing rugby in organised sessions out in uh, playing fields and whatnot. I know you've been getting the, the boots on at Northern recently. It's just nice to see local rugby back and people enjoying themselves playing it because um, it has been a shame that it hasn't been played for the last year. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's good because in many ways, apart from, I mean, I did play a match against the touring team and unfortunately there were still no scrums, which is my favourite bit, which was heartbreaking, really. Um, so I hope at least for the, the upcoming season that that's scrapped and you know, the kind of the scrums are back. Um, but apart from that, I mean, when you train, when, when you are playing sort of generally, it's, it does feel like it's back to normal, actually. Um, and that's obviously really, really good, and that that's great for everyone involved in the sport at any level. But yeah, it it, it does seem to be. I think once the season properly does get up and running, I think it will be as it was really. I think, and that that's really, really good. And I think many of us absolutely like can't wait for us kind of amateur rugby just kind of get back to where it was. Definitely, even if it's not playing it, it's, you can still go and watch it. And it's nice to sometimes go down somewhere and uh, 
put a couple of quid in a tub as opposed to have to pay a fortune. It's been brilliant being uh, backed in the podcast. It means that the season's kind of around the corner. Mm-hmm. Something to look forward it's to. Uh, we look forward to speaking again on the other side of the friendly. So thank you for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.